0: The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Well, welcome to Tech Talk Cafe right here. Well, not even Tech Talk Cafe, I'm getting ahead of myself. It's been a crazy month, April, no question. So much happening in the world, so much happening across the continent of Africa, wars in Europe. Technology takes a little bit of a hiatus over this period, leading into the sort of northern hemisphere summer. But also, I think, in many ways, the world has become a little distracted, It's become a little bit more difficult. But there are lots of new cell phones, there are lots of new solutions, there are lots of new apps, there are lots of new little gizmos and gadgets that come on the market. And I'm going to be shaking up the show from next month. I want to try to get a whole different take on where we're going with tech and what we're doing, but stay tuned. You'll just have to listen in and find out who we're speaking to and what we're doing starting in May. But anyway, for now, we're going to go through some of the news and some of the interesting stuff that's coming through the various tech companies. And starting off, Ticketmaster. Now, Ticketmaster, if you've ever been overseas, if you've ever been to America, Europe, and you've tried to book for a show, Ticketmaster was one of the companies that popped up every single time. They seem to have got a pretty solid hold on the event um, and ticketing industry across most of the globe. And they've now finally launched in South Africa. Now, the real truth is South Africa's had a fairly technologically advanced, they give stories about, you know, our rapidly digitalization, et cetera, et cetera. The truth is with Computicket. South Africa was one of the world leaders in online ticketing of events, movies, you name it. And that platform has been working in South Africa for what I understand is 50 years, which is pretty insane. Along came Quicket and iTickets. They've all done a fairly good job at allowing online ticketing. The difference is that for the most part if you go and have a look at the CompuTicket website now it's actually difficult to understand what they do. They seem to be selling stuff, oh, a whole host of interesting and weird stuff. It's really the the whole focus seems to have moved and changed. What is not known by a lot of people is that CompuTicket's owned by Checkers. So who knows what their their, their focus is, but I can tell you basically from what I can see online and my own experience using them over the last year or two, not that there's been much to do with them because with COVID, none of us were going pretty much anywhere or booking anything. But as that rolls away and we get back into life and lots and lots of um, events and whatnot happening... We're now in a situation where there is competition. And I believe Ticketmaster, and all you have to do is go to ticketmaster.co.za and check it out and have a look at what they're offering. They're starting off with a couple of big events. Apparently, they've got the rights to the the Rugby World Cup 7s, which is later this year. And they've got enormous technological skills and the ability to book and to manage and to compete with the homegrown Uh, platforms i think will create a good buzz in the market and in the end that does help you me and every other consumer out there because i just believe that the local guys have had it too good for too long the systems are not great the the platforms are a little clunky and i do believe that we're looking for a little bit of uh, excitement and let's see what ticketmaster brings so check it out on ticketmaster.co.za and um, see what they have to offer not much currently but I think they've got the clout and the legs to take this a long, long way. So good, good news to see that we are finally getting some interesting competition and some proper uh, booking. And hopefully they will focus a lot more on events. And hopefully there are a lot more events as things and the world opens up again, which is quite a key thing. Now, another little tidbit of good news in all the madness that's ensuing out there. There seems to be a few, as our um, government love to tell us, green shoots, <laughs> which is uh, not my favorite saying. Every time they talk green shoots, I just imagine yeah, not much <laughs> is going to change. But we have all been, for most part of the last 18 months, involved in what they call the chip shortage. Anyone who's tried to buy a car Anyone who's trying to buy a computer globally, and this is not just locally, there were a lot of reasons why locally there were shortages, but um, from first-hand experience, I've spoken to people at Ford, they've got vehicles shipping, going to customers with parts disabled because they do not have the chips. And the reason, for the most part, why this happened, and I think that's actually quite important for all of us to understand, is why there was a chip shortage was essentially a huge mismanagement of the global supply chain. And with the pandemic sweeping through the world for close on two and a bit years, what was happening is that one part of the supply chain, called China, shut down. Then when China came back on stream, another part of the supply chain, even Holland, where where ASML make the units that make the chips, um, they shut down. So there was this massive disconnect, the smooth flow of, of manufacturing plants, raw materials, you name it. So raw materials from South Africa, silicon, et cetera, wasn't shipped. There was just this enormous fracture in the supply chain. And the truth be told that modern supply chains were fully integrated. With the technology that we have today, it simply means that everyone had planned out their production for the foreseeable future, for the next couple of years. And in doing that planning, they'd planned backwards to the raw materials, the manufacturing um, the manufacturing equipment, the actual plants where the chips were made, the packaging, the sales, the distribution. So the entire supply chain from raw material to finished goods to the, to the orders that they received from the major users of chips, cars, aeroplanes, telecommunications, you name it, All those guys got completely out of sync because when one was working, another wasn't. And because there's so many moving parts in any one of these components, a simple chip can have anything between 30 and 100 different parts from the plastics to the metals to the silicon chips to the etching devices, you name it. So the the chip manufacturing industry was an absolute bellwether. To how supply chains across the world, across everything, have been affected by the fact that the world shut down on on totally uncoordinated basis, like China right now. Apparently, there's huge amount of ships sitting in the South China Sea mm-hmm. trying to dock um, and and get uh, information or get goods onto their ships and deliver goods for use in China manufacturing. But anyway, the the blue, the green shoots are that. The prices of GPUs, that's the video processor units, has started to stabilize and drop, and they've become neutral, not so much dropped, but the rate of increase of these things indicates that the scarcity of the chip crunch is coming to an end, and that will help all of us from smartphones to cars And I do believe there's also going to be massive overcapacity because many manufacturers have now shifted out of Taiwan, out of China, out of Korea, into America, into South America, into Mexico, into Europe to create massive new plants to build these chips. So hopefully it all stabilizes. Hopefully the supply chains don't get disrupted again. And hopefully we see a situation where we can just go into the shops, buy that new computer you wanted. Pop into a motor car um, manufacturer or whatever your preferred provider of cars, and just pick up a car with all the chi- all the chips inside, and they're not shipping them around the world without chips. So, let's hope this happens. I believe that towards the end of this year, we're going to see a major. Um, realignment in terms of where the chips come from and how they are used across the market. And it'll be good news for all of us. These long waits, six to nine months to up to a year for a motor car, which is crazy, especially electrical cars, will probably fade and uh, we'll forget this madness of chip stuff. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And Tech Talk Cafe today is going to be A long live chat with myself, unfortunately. Been trying to get some guests, but with all the holidays and, you know, all the people moving around, it's been a little slow on that front. As I said, wait till next month, we're going to have some interesting people to talk to. But one of the huge talking points around technology, and not so much technology, but social media, has been the huge deal around Twitter and Elon Musk, who has now finalized an offer to buy Twitter for $44 billion. Now, of course, the Twitterati, which is quite interesting, have gone absolutely crazy with two camps emerging. The one camp saying, yay, this is a great thing. You know, he's uh, noted the batarian, and he has stated on Twitter, of course, that what he wants to do is cement the whole option of free speech and allowing people... To say what they want to say. And in fact, he invited all his critics onto Twitter to engage with him, you know, fairly robustly. That's a great story. But the big story is that the concentration of social media platforms into major figures, such as the Amazon people, the guys at Google, and all of and Facebook obviously have really consolidated the power of these platforms in a rather spectacular way. And a lot will probably change in the next little while. But Before we get to that, just to unpack a little about what happened around Twitter, it appears that it was a rather casual conversation on Twitter about, why don't you buy uh, Twitter, Elon Musk, because he was criticizing them about something or other. And he replied quite flippantly, well, how much does it cost? Who knows if that led down the path? But in a very, very, very short time, he proposed a $54 20-share price buyout of the entire stock of Twitter. And initially, the Twitter board uh, adopted something called a poison pill, which would effectively poison the deal and make it impossible to to buy out all the shares. However, I believe that the, as a publicly traded company and generally trading below its IPO um, trading you know when, when it launched it had a certain uh, share price and for the most part through lots of reasons it's traded below that and again I think over the last few years Twitter has become a bit of an echo chamber of Twitterati people who are active on the platform but it hasn't expanded into the general consciousness or become in any way as pervasive as the Facebook's and the Googles and those guys. So the time was pretty right because there was not much happening in the space of Twitter for someone to come along and shake it all up. Well, essentially, despite what the board adopted, the shareholders, uh, I think, um, got stuck in and said, guys, it's time to sell. Cash in. And I mean, $44 billion is not exactly small. Elon Musk, for his you know, from his own point of view, has stated clearly that free speech is the bedrock of functioning democracies and Twitter is the digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are, based, are debated. Uh, he, that's what Elon Musk said in a statement. I don't believe that is entirely true, to be honest. I do believe that Twitter has become very much a echo chamber of those that use it um, and the same people tend to work with it. There's also an enormous problem with what are called Twitter bots that have been set up in a way that they auto respond en masse using fake addresses, fake names, basically pushing certain agendas and stirring up and creating huge havoc to Twitter's um, defense. They have been trying their best to clear that out and to stop it. We've seen it in South Africa. We saw it. Um, now with this whole Ukrainian war and everything that's going on in that space. But the simple truth is that social media has and has started to actually change the way that we talk, the way we interact, and the way that so much of humanity's interaction across the planet has, has shaped and moved events and current affairs in pretty serious ways. Again, we'll talk a little bit about that, but... The net effect on Twitter is, is seriously, seriously changing the way that we look at things, seriously changing the way that we work with things, and taking it private, essentially the place where it is now, is going to change a lot of things from the point of view of where do you go, what do you do, and how does Twitter change the social media space in many, many, many respects. So if you are on Twitter... Um, it's a good time to start probably clean up your timeline, go and have a re-look at who you follow, who you don't follow, and just try your best to get out of the box that you've painted yourself in. What we will probably see um, is many, many changes coming from the technology on that side. There's a, a an amend button that's uh, coming. There's a lot of um A lot of other requested changes that Elon Musk has actually uh, mentioned he would do. And he also mentioned, and this is something that's actually very important, is that the moderation of content on Twitter is going to change considerably. He does dub himself a free speech absolutist. And this does raise concerns about many people who feel that free speech without moderation could be extremely dangerous as I said er- earlier on, in South Africa and in many places around the world, people have been hounded to the point of suicide through activity on social media, including Twitter. So I think broadly, it's, it's quite an important and um, civilizational type of risk when these type of platforms can either be trusted more, and looked at as a source of reasonable information and information that we can use or can't use. But essentially, having a platform of this nature um, opened completely for free. The one, the hugest (laughs) story around Twitter was the whole uh, Donald Trump being banned from the platform for life. And there's a big rumor that, uh, you know, with Elon Musk's free speech, he may come back. Well, apparently, he's said he would never come back to Twitter. He set up his own social media platform. And I read this morning that it was number one on the Apple Apple iStore or the Apple Store um, in the last month, which is pretty concerning because it's a, a really right wing um, platform for, for spreading all sorts of information or misinformation, depending on where your point of view comes from. But having a platform like Twitter, which is so big and is so pervasive across most of the world. We are seeing enormous, enormous change, and I do believe we're going to see even more change, which is um, quite a a big deal. From, From mine and your point of view, from the point of view of users, I don't think we're going to see much. Twitter will remain the way it is. I think it will remain a short form. They've tried and experimented much with video, pretty similar to the TikToks and uh, some of the stuff that Facebook have been trying to do in the video space. And I don't believe that they're going to, they're going to have to make some significant changes to try to bring people, young people especially, into uh, a text-based, even if it's text and video-based platform like Twitter. Because for the most part, most of the activity, especially amongst the younger generation, has moved onto video platforms such as TikTok. And the amount of content there absolutely dwarfs the amount of content that is being generated on Twitter. And a lot of that content is reused across multiple platforms that allow it. So you'll often find exactly the same content on TikTok as you find on Facebook and vice versa, because it's it's easy to do both at the same time. So Twitter's version of that has not really taken off. And I do believe that um, we're not going to see a lot of change and a lot of differences coming from that point of view, but it's early days yet. the the actual um, the actual deal has now been accepted by the board. It has not changed. It has not happened as yet. And again, even though the company is being taken private through the whole Elon Musk setup, it will definitely not change everything very, very, very quickly. So. I think this is a space that we've got to watch fairly closely. I think social media in and of itself has changed considerably over the last little while. The war in Ukraine has definitely brought a new element to the use of social media, with it being completely banned in Russia and totally not allowed to be used in any way, shape or form. And interesting, despite that, Facebook users or the number of daily users has actually gone up on Facebook over the last little while, which is quite an interesting um, uh, stat because you would imagine with them being completely cut out of a major market like Russia, for example, their fa- daily fa- their daily users grew to 1.96 billion in the, the last three months or well, the first three months of the year. And that makes a huge, huge difference. But by... Um, just comparing that to the number of, of daily users on on Twitter, for example, uh, Facebook completely and utterly dwarfs it by a factor of four, five to one. And it has made a, it, it, it actually very interesting to see which uh, of these platforms are most dominant in terms of the amount of users, the amount of people that actually go on board. And as I said, Twitter, for the most part, has become a bit of an echo chamber. So many people that I speak to Mostly younger people, for that matter, just don't even use Twitter. They don't look at it, don't see it. And yet some of them are going back to doing certain things on Facebook, mostly because of the advertising and the amount of other activity that goes around Facebook, which includes um, Instagram and WhatsApp. Although there's been a lot of havoc around that and what sharing of information between the various platforms, the simple fact is that once you have those three on your phone, you are already sharing an enormous amount of information with Facebook, which is used for advertising purposes. Twitter does not have the same monetization model as the as Facebook, which is interesting. And there was a lot of talk that you'll be able to have to pay for information on on, on Twitter. And I don't believe that will happen in a hurry. I think the whole model of the freemium, in other words, you use uh, social media for free, theoretically, even though you are the product and the data and the information you supply to Twitter and Facebook and all the other guys and to Google becomes used in order to get advertisers on the platform and those advertisers are then allowed certain information to target adverts and information to people and the users on these various social media platforms and that's the mon- that's the simple monetization part of any social media platform. You are the product, unfortunately. You are the information that is used to get advertisers to spend a ton of money. And with the growth of streaming, now these okay. this is all, these are very unrelated things. And for many parts, when you speak to people about it, they don't quite realize how the world has evolved in terms of marketing and advertising. At one stage, used to, if you just think about the pre-90s, Even the pre 2000s, for the most part, if you went to the movies, if you watched linear TV, if you read a magazine or a newspaper, there were a ton of physical adverts that interrupted and could not be missed at any point in time. If you arrived at the movies early, you got a good 15 minutes of adverts before the movie started. If you opened up your magazine, you were bombarded with tons of adverts before you got to the meaty parts that you wanted to read. The same thing happened with online. You had banner adverts on every website you went to. It started to fade a little as smartphones started taking over and you landed up with a lot less noise coming through because you had apps that did not advertise directly. Social media did do a bit of advertising, making them look like posts. But that slowly grew to the point where people were not watching linear TV, no adverts. Um, Most of the streaming services do not have adverts, although in the U.S., for the most part, you can pay less and accept adverts. Even Amazon uh, on their Kindle pioneered that. You could get an offers version for less or uh, you'd have to pay a little bit more and get one without offers. And offers, nice way to put adverts, became the de facto way of working. And because of the short form nature of Twitter, to just bring the whole story back to the whole Twitter story, Twitter is very difficult to, to incorporate adverts because there's so much activity, so much scrolling that as you slide through your, your feed, no matter, even if you don't follow a lot of people, your feed is pretty busy in terms of the stuff that you see. And it's very hard to quietly insert adverts that are contextually um, relevant and based on your usage and what you visited. Facebook is incredibly good at that. It's almost sometimes a little creepy. Sometimes you were just talking about a certain topic and your phone's with you. It should not be listening to you, but uh, that's another story altogether. However, the next minute you're scrolling through your Facebook feed and there's a whole lot of adverts based on a conversation you had about a certain topic, which I'm sure most of you have have, have noticed. And that's pretty, pretty, pretty much how advertising has gone. Advertising online, on websites, not so good on a smartphone, a little bit better on a big computer. But again, more and more people are only interfacing with the Internet through their smartphones. So we're going to see a lot of change there. But it's very interesting that despite the um, cutting off of a major market like the whole of Russia, um, Facebook's numbers have gone up. And it definitely shows that there is a need or rather a a understanding of the trade-off that's going on. People might not even consciously accept that they are the product, they are giving information, they are allowing that to go to advertisers. But for the most part, I'm fairly benign. A lot of advertising that I see is is useful to some extent. Where else are you going to find all this stuff? You're going to have to trawl the web to try to find information. And here the algorithms in social media are pretty much doing it for you. So I know that's an alternative way of looking at things. And we'll be back straight after this with Gadgets and Gizmos. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And guess what I've been playing with for the last little while around the house? It's been good fun. It is called an iRobot Roomba. And essentially, it's a mop and a vacuum cleaner that whizzes around the house without any real intervention from you and cleans the floor vacuums the carpets and just generally bumps into things well actually it doesn't which is quite interesting now the whole South Africa again is a slightly different place uh, for the most part many of us have the privilege and the advantage of having domestic assistance in the home and you know, the handheld vacuum cleaner, the handheld mop, was the way that people cleaned their floors, did everything that you needed to do. The other challenge is that South African homes tend to be large, or larger than many in um, the Northern Hemisphere, in Europe, and to some parts of America. Obviously, some parts of America have, have homes that make South African homes look miniature. But just generally, the growth of, vacuum, uh, of, of robot vacuum cleaners has been pretty exponential, and iRobot launched in South Africa sometime late last year and for the most part have been doing quite a good job of getting out there. I know more and more people who've bought them for lots of good reasons and um, they've been working extremely well. Well, the one I've been playing with is the iRobot Ibo- Ibo- I- I Roomba i3+, Plus, which is selling in South Africa for around about 13,299 rand think you can do a little bit of shopping around and see what you can find. They're available quite a number of places everywhere. But they come in a couple of really interesting parts. The first one is is the actual iRobot device, which has got little whiskey things at the bottom to sweep up dirt. And it's just a standard vacuum cleaner type module in a um, round circular construction with lots of sensors and the ability, once you hook it up to your smartphone app, to be programmed to clean mop and vacuum the home whenever you wanted to. And and a lot of us now find that when you go out, it would be great to have something clean up, wander around the lounge and the dining room and vacuum and, and clean up all the little bits of dirt and, and, and whatnot. So spent a lot of time working through it and trying to understand how best to use them. And for the most part, they're actually very, very seamless. Not cheap for a vacuum cleaner, but right up front, I must say, as good as um, any one of the vacuum cleaners that I've used over the last little while. And it has two really important things. One, it mops, which helps. And two, it docks itself and empties itself into a little, the plus version, into a little container. So that you don't have to worry about it getting full, because itself is quite a small little device, and it doesn't have it doesn't have enough storage room to keep a couple of days. So if you go away and you leave it on, you'll find that it simply stops. Everyone I know is given their their names, their iRobot's names. So there's David, and there's all sorts of interesting names. But the simple fact is, it's a very very useful tool, and I've found that for the most part, even though they are pretty expensive, they are very effective. There are a couple of things that you need to to be aware of. One, I found it does not like chair legs. So in the dining room, when it gets around the chairs, I mean, that's a silly thing to have to do. You put the chairs on the table and it does a great job. If you leave the chairs down, it tends to miss the whole area around the dining room and uh, well around the table in the dining room. And that's where a lot of crumbs and dirt and whatever happens. So be aware that in many ways, it's got a little laser setup, You can program it to map out the room. You can tell it where to go and where not to go. It can move over the basic humps. So a couple of my doors have got little, little lips. So to stop water and dirt from going from one place to another, no problem. Hops over those, gets a lot done in that space. But if they're too high, it tends to just stop and send you a little message that you're stuck. And it's quite cool. So you're sitting in a restaurant, your Roomba's running around the house, cleaning up all the dirt, and the next thing you get a message that it's stuck. Generally, not a big deal. As the battery gets low, it moves back to its docking station, charges, and then continues. For the most part, i found that big rooms are not a problem. The more open it is, the better it is. Getting round little cracks or round the back of things, not so good. It doesn't go under, obviously, Um, couches that are too low but overall as a a basic affordable robot it does clean the house while you're gone it does find a lot of of hidden debris that you didn't even think of it vacuums it cleans it's also got a little feature which is quite cool where it actually checks to see where something's dirty and double cleans it and makes sure that it's absolutely um, clean and it's very logical in the way that it does it. It follows a pattern. It cleans very, very... It's actually quite interesting to sit there and watch it work. It's very, very thorough in where it goes. And it does constantly keep on sucking dirt and sweeping it into the, to the, the, the container. When it gets full, if you're really super messy, it rushes back to its little stand. The, the, all the dirt is sucked out into a container. Which, again, three, four days, five days, depending on how dirty it is, you can keep it going there. And it's very good with pets, I must admit. There's no question that it spends a lot of time sucking and cleaning if pets have left hairs and dirt and everything around. And very, very useful. So, if you're in the market, I must say that I haven't tried a whole lot of them. But doing a little bit of a Google search, the iRobot Roomba, and there are a number of different models in that space, some a bit more powerful, some with a few more features. But the the pricing versus the quality versus the usability of the i3 is pretty, pretty spectacular. comes with everything that you need. The bags are available uh, pretty much everywhere at not terribly expensive. But that's surprisingly intuitive. It does what it set out to do. And it keeps the home really clean. There's nothing better than coming home. Your little iRumba robot, whatever its name is, Harold, has docked itself quietly away. The house is clean. The dirt's been sucked up, and everyone's uh, happy with that. So have a look. As I say, selling for around about 13,000 Rand expense for a vacuum cleaner, but certainly the coolest thing you can put in your home if you're a technology person such as myself and it does an an amazingly good job i didn't expect it to be as good as it is and it's certainly great on carpets it's good on tiles and carpets on tiles work very well as well so pretty much does exactly what it's meant to do in quite a cool way you can check it out on its app the app is pretty thorough it updates you it keeps you tells you when it needs charging It tells you when the little box is full of dirt and uh, very easy to keep it keep it sort of clean keep it going And on that note, we'll be back straight after this with a few more little bits of information from our sponsors. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And as a quick wrap-up before we run out of time, this Tech Talk, once again, some really interesting news has been hitting the streets. MTN released their results. They were done. They've had an extremely good run. Vodacom are releasing the results shortly, and I expect them to be just as as good. But the big news in that space was the whole story of Spectrum. It's been awarded. I do believe it's going to have a massive impact on the cost and the performance of networks over the next um, six to nine months as they roll out the new the new technologies that can work on all the additional Spectrum that they've got. But one of the questions that's been asked, and I've been asked about a lot is that is there enough competition in the uh, telecoms industry and shouldn't there something that could be done? There seems to be a bit of obsession in South Africa with big companies and their impact and monopolies. I think people are deeply suspicious and deeply unhappy with the impact that monopolies have had in their life. The problem is that in many cases there are natural monopolies and telecommunications, the provision of water and electricity and roads You know, the basic foundations of a modern society tend to need large monopolies because they're all businesses of scale. In other words, you need massive amounts of financing, massive efficiencies, and there are not many suppliers specifically in the telecommunications space. Globally, there are only three or four suppliers of of telecommunications equipment that can create the networks of the size, the scale, and the performance that is needed to, to do what's being done. So my con, my assertion in this space is simply this. MTN, Vodacom, Telcom, and the sort of cell C that is now not a network other than just you know, having customers and selling selling for other networks. They've moved their entire technology back into MTN for the most part and some to tel- to Vodacom they are natural monopolies and it's not a bad thing because you try to break them up, you try to force them to, to split into hundreds of little companies with this type of, of, of global or national or continent-wide services of telecommunications. What that would do in many cases just make the prices higher, create far less um, coordination between the various players, and also lower the efficiency of these networks considerably. So really you do need to have a big company with massive infrastructure, doing incredible things in the space. And also the technology itself keeps refreshing it every three to four years. So we had 3G, you had 3G plus, you had 4G, 4G plus, now we've got 5G. I think it's gonna probably move directly to 6G in the next couple of years. And all these Gs are not simply a matter of faster or cheaper or better. There's a complex business case behind them. The types of technologies that you can use are pretty complex. So watch this space. But it was just interesting to see the comments from um, the MTN Group chief executive, Ralph Mapita, who was saying that MTN needs to evolve into the next generation and they're looking at financial services and lots of other things to try to grow their company and to take MTN to the next level. And for the most part, I agree that these are useful services. But for, but what MTN and all these guys need to understand is that as a company of scale, as a company that's offering to tens of millions, in some cases, hundreds of millions of people, basic communication, both voice and data, they need to be really good at what they do. They need to be super competitive at what they do. And it's a very different thing offering financial services to offering data services. The one is a purely technical and, um, you know, something that can be handled through technology for the most part, where the other is very much dealing with people's needs with very many fragmented, tiny transactions, which again, something that the mobile networks are not terribly bad at dealing with, but it's a very different platform. So... I I know that MTN are looking at spinning off their their financial services into a separate company with the aid of the scale that their networks can offer. But I do believe that these are fairly natural monopolies. These are not people that you can break up into hundreds of little companies and try to offer stuff. So on that note, I've been told that, unfortunately, our time is up. But watch the space. There's some big announcements, I think, coming from Vodacom. They've had a great year as well. MTN are also looking at expanding and changing and doing many things. I know we love to hate our mobile networks, but I expect prices to drop over the next couple of months and years, the quality of voice calls to improve, quality of data to improve, and on the new 5G phones that are getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, you definitely can feel how much better a 5G network is at just normal stuff, using social media, browsing the web, making calls, using WhatsApp and using WhatsApp calls. So, Really and truly, I think we're in a a really sweet spot in South Africa in terms of that. Pricing is always a challenge, but I do believe it will be changing. And on that positive note, this is Stephen Ambrose on Tech Talk right here on High FM, and we will be back, same place, same time, next week. See you then.